Good morning, Rock Bible Church. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, let's go ahead and get started. We are in our, our uh, new series, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 today. After today, we're going to be halfway through that series. Uh, nice little quick book, and we're going to uh, see what Paul has to say in his second letter to Timothy. Um, and it's a great, uh, great way for us to see a little mentorship, um, a little bit of growth. Um, and what do we do, you know, for those of us who say, well, I want to go deeper. Timothy's had some interactions with Paul for a while now, and now we're getting to next level type of questions and things like that. And so um, uh, let's jump into that, but let's pray first, uh, and then we'll get going. Lord, thank you for this morning, and thank you for um, your word. Thank you for how things seem to be coming down with the virus. Uh, we, we acknowledge answered prayer there, and we pray that it would just continue um, between infections and deaths and vaccines and all the different things that are going on. Lord, we just pray for continued good news. Uh, and we are reminded, Lord, that you are in control of all things, and it's, it's great for us to gather and worship you. And that's what we do this morning, Lord, whether it's here or online. I just pray that you would be with us, that you would draw our attention to what you want us to see here, what you want us to work on, prioritize, think about, that we might invest in our relationship with you, Lord. And as we're going to talk about this morning, Lord, that we could really be vital players in your game. And so I pray that you would show us that from your word through the guidance of your spirit. Pray it would honor your son and what he did, his finished work on the cross. And uh, we pray this in his name, Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, last week, first chapter, we talked about this idea of guarding uh, what God has deposited, what God has given us, um, making sure that we secure that. Uh, chapter 2, um, you know, guarding is, uh, is a little bit like uh, in sports, like you're playing defense, right? If you're guarding somebody, you're defending, right? You used to always crack up at basketball. They'd be like, yeah, you got to get in your stance, you know, whatever. We're going we're gonna to guard. So uh, this week, we're kind of going from defense. Maybe we're, we're transitioning into offense. How do you get into the game? How, how could you score in your Christian life? How could you be effective? Um, so you want to guard certain things that are important. But then once those are guarded, what do you, how do you take those things and move uh, forward? And so that's a little bit of what Paul's going to get into this morning. Let's jump in uh, with verse 1. You then, my child... Be strengthened. So, can you be stronger? You're being told to be strengthened. You could be stronger. You could. You can get better. You can make progress by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How do we get? How do we get stronger? Practice, right? More practice. It's kind of interesting because Paul says here, uh, "Get stronger, but get stronger through grace." How do you do grace? This is a trick question. You can't do grace. Grace is something that happens to you through Jesus. So if we're going to get stronger through grace, what are we going to have to access? We're going to have to access our relationship with the Lord rather than 
uh, keep tally of how many times you attended church, you know, or what good things you've done. Uh, no, we're trying to track our relationship with the Lord and, and ask that His grace would somehow get us to a better place. And uh, Paul's saying that to Timothy as if it's possible. And I think it's great for us to remember, no matter what condition you're in, no matter what's going on, it always can get better. Depends on if, if Christ wants that or not. And, um, and then trying to figure out what's he paying attention to and how do we, how do we pay attention to it. Verse, uh, be strengthened in the grace of Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is a guy writing to a guy. He says, hey, this is kind of how it works for us. Now, if he was writing to a woman, it would probably say something different. So let's not get stuck on the gender thing, right? But what he's saying is there's something that's being taught here about Christ. That's what we have to hold on to. And I have to hold, make sure that other people are holding on to it as well. Uh, it pays off. It works. And then all of a sudden, it's, it feels like it shifts gears. He says, verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And now I'm getting concerned because he mentioned suffering twice the last chapter. Now we're into the second chapter. He's mentioning suffering again as if like suffering is insured. It's going to happen. He says, share in the suffering rather than avoid the suffering. Shouldn't he say that? Shouldn't he say, let's avoid suffering? He says, no, suffering's going to happen uh, for some people more than others, depending and what could your role be when the suffering happens? What could you do? That to, um, to, for him to ask, and he compares it then to being a soldier. That's kind of a weird analogy. You know how many soldier analogies are in Scripture? Very, very few. It doesn't say, uh, you know, share in the suffering as like a slave. It doesn't say share in the suffering as a minister, as a soldier. It kind of implies that we're in a fight. That's dangerous. There's risks. If that's truth, I want to know what the risks are. I want to know how do I win the fight. I mean, I'd rather it was a sports analogy, right? I don't want to do war. I want to just do sports. But uh, if we're going to guard... Maybe it wasn't guarding in a sports sense. Maybe you're guarding a tower. Maybe you're guarding your land. Maybe you're guarding a border. Maybe you're guarding an important person because you have an assignment, a mission. Paul uses this analogy, and he continues it in verse 4. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. What's, what's the analogy then? We're meant to please God rather than get distracted by all the other little things. How many little things are there? Two. Wait, there's, there's only two? No, you didn't let me finish the sentence. Too many. Right? There's too many little things. And uh, that's not a problem because... We ignore all those little things that are distraction, don't we? I mean, we're really good at ignoring those things, right? That's why Paul had to tell us to ignore those things. No, we're, we're terrible at it. 
we get worried about our finances. We get ter- worried about our relationships. We get worried about uh, our capability or illness or the future. Some of us are still worried about the past, although it can't change. We get stuck on some things. This is really aren't, aren't important. What if you release those things? What if you said, that's not my mission. That's not my aim. I'm, I'm supposed to be working on something else. How do I stay on task? How do I stay on purpose? I have limited experiences in this life. I have only my own experiences. But what they have shown me most of the time when with, it's either me or it's other people, when they stay on task and when they stay at it, things tend to work. Something gets accomplished. And uh, that's, that's just the way it works. Right? You got to keep at it. You, you don't get worried about uh, whether you get splinters when you're carrying 32 railroad ties with Tony and you're just trying to lift them. That was my day the other day. Tony and I, we, we rode out, picked up some uh, railroad ties and uh, it was work. It was hot. We were sweaty. They're heavy. It was inconvenient because the forklift couldn't get the boards onto the trailer so it got it as close as it could and then it's like all right time to move the boards who's gonna do it Tony and I are looking around at each other I guess it's us you put on the gloves and you start working right uh was it easy no was it fun Mm, not really unless you focus on what's the goal get this in there and can I enjoy Tony while I'm doing it? No. I can complain about how old I am or I'm not strong enough or I'm super tired or I can't breathe or blah, blah, blah. And how am I doing this with masks on, blah, all that. Or I can just say, goal of this time is maybe moving this wood and maybe investing in Tony. Then all of a sudden it could be fun, couldn't it? Absolutely it could. And it was. And you missed it. We had a blast. Uh, no soldier gets entangled in this stuff since he's trying to please God. What entangles you? What trips you up? What wakes you up at night? What makes you feel like you have to post? Who do you need to call and give direction? What do you have to fix? I love what uh, Dr. John Tompkins says about need. It's an overused word. I need to breathe. I need water every so often. A little less often, I need food. Outside of that, the, the word's overused. We can talk about what you want all day. Because most of the time, needs are actually wants. How many of your wants get in the way of God's wants, God's needs? That's what Paul's talking about. When you have little wants, what are they? Is, is comfort a want for you? I want to be comfortable. I make my decisions based on, will I be comfortable? 
or do I feel like it? That's the one that kills me. Oh, I didn't feel like it. I was going to help him, but I wasn't feeling it. Great. You sound like Adam and Eve in the garden. Good job. Don't get entangled in that stuff. Instead, remember what your job is and who you're working for. Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes. Oh, we're back to sports. This is good, right? Unless he competes according to the rules. Apparently, uh, an athlete can get a crown if he competes with the rules and competes well. He can win. Paul says it's just like the soldier. There's, here's another analogy. Athletes. Are you following the rules? Because if you don't follow the rules, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, then you're not really playing the game. Hence the title of this morning, Getting in God's Game. And watch this, verse 6, he's going to change analogies again. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Why does he use three different analogies? It's kind of a speaking faux pas. If you're giving a speech, you probably should have one example for what your point is. You start to have more than one example, you really don't have any examples because you're going to lose your audience. But here he does it three. He changes three times. Why? What's the point? The point is it doesn't matter if you're a soldier, an athlete, or a farmer. This applies to everyone. That's what Paul wants to say. That's the real analogy. If you work at it, stay on task with God, you're going to experience some great things. That's why we guard what we guarded in chapter 1. We guard our faith. We guard our relationship with him so that we can invest in it, chase it, experience it, share it with other people, and watch it pay off in ways that many times, most of the time, is new to us and better than we thought. Verse 7, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Wow. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Do you realize what verse we just found? You have access to everything you need to know. Remember I just said David a little speech about need versus want and what Tompkins says, right? Here we get a verse that says everything you need to know, actually need, you can know it. You can probably know and understand the things you want to know. Don't need to know, but you want to. I'd be nice if I knew these things. Ooh. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Where does understanding come from? You working harder? Nope. Being smarter? Studying more? Having the right genes? Nope. Doesn't even come from going to the right church. <clears throat> Sorry. Remember Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's the one that gives understanding to everything. And here's what he wants us to remember about it, right? He was risen from the dead. What has he proven? Power over life and death, right? The offspring of David. He's from the right line. As preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, he says, you've known about this for a long time. In fact, I'm suffering for it, bound in chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Can't be stopped. Can't be contained. That's what we love about our relationship with the Lord. It does not depend on us. 
It depends on him. And, and here's the problem we have. We think we have to work at it. And, we, and so we work and we, we make lists and we run and we chase. And we, you know, if I just, I'm just going to work harder. Maybe I'll work smarter, not harder, but I'm still working. I'm going to get stuff done. I'm going to be great at my church. I'm going to be great at my family. I'm going to be great in the community. And I'm, I'm going to check off all these boxes. I'm going to get all this great stuff done. People are going to like me. I'm going to make money and I'm going to donate it. And you come up with this big old list. And we start to figure out that doesn't work. You accomplish many things, but there's an empty feeling when you're doing it outside of the Lord. That God may give you success in order to bless somebody else, but you're still empty. And so we swing over to the part that's like, oh, wait, oh, wait, no, it's, it's about, really about Jesus and what he did on the cross and his grace and my faith in him. And he's solved everything. And so I'm, I'm just going to trust that God's got everything. He's, he's ordained everything. So I don't have to think or work or do anything because it's all, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'm just going to let it happen. And, and we throw out our list and we just say, I'm just going to 100% trust in God. I'm totally sick, but that's okay. I know they got medicine at the hospital, but I'm just going to trust in God. He'll heal me. Yes, well, maybe he'll heal you if you get up, walk over to the hospital and get the medicine. As we go from like making these lists of all this stuff that we're going to do to way over to the, uh, well, I'm just going to trust God for everything. And I think the sweet spot is when you get to step three, which is off the screen. No, uh, is when you, you go from your list to then totally trusting God and then realizing that, yes, we, trusting in God is what gets us saved, but it's the next step that God says, now, how do you want to enjoy it? Yes, trust me for everything, but you could actually get in the game and we could, instead of doing bottom shelf, lower level, ground zero, we could move up in some effectiveness. You can trust me and give me credit for everything. And yet, then you could try it, share it, enjoy it, and see what more I could do. I mean, the question is this, um, you want to have one good set of crops or do you want to have decades worth of good crops? You want to win one game or you want to win a bunch of games in a row and then win the championship? I mean, in the, the best analogy for this is do you want, you want to win one battle? One battle gets you very little if you die in the next battle. You want to win all the battles. God says, I could show you what that's like. It's not about you getting better and having better uh, equipment, better resources, better smarts. Those things can help. But it's not until you trust me for all of it and then find out how to engage in it after that. That's when it really starts to work and look good. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to Timothy. Uh, and hopefully we're picking it up today. Uh he says God's word is not bound. Uh, what he's saying is God can't be stopped. He's going to get what he wants to get whenever he wants to get it, however he wants to get it, with whomever he wants to get it. He can't be bound. That's part of why he says, remember Jesus, risen from the dead, couldn't be bound. Uh, and his words can't be bound either. Therefore, verse 10, if all this is true, then what? I endure everything for the sake of the elect. 
I endure everything for the sake of the elect. If all this is true, I keep going. Why? Because there's people out there that could still learn from this, that could still accept Christ, that are on the path, and they might just need a little more nudge or they, a, a warm person to give them a little encouragement. He says, this is why I keep at it. That's great. He's in jail, chained up, and he's still, he's still after it. He's still trying. He says, I do this for the sake of elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Why do we keep going? I love this question. You get it fairly often when you're a pastor. Uh, hey, how, how come when we get saved, how come we don't just go up to heaven right then? Because you're not the only one. <laughs> There's other people that need to get saved too. And he wants to get the message out to all of them, right? God's not slow about keeping his promises as some count slowness, but is patient, not willing that any should perish. The verse. Is God not slow about keeping his promises as some count slowness, but he is patient, not willing that any should perish. Who does he want to save? Say everyone. Paul figured that out. He says, why do I keep working even though I'm in chains and suffering, even though I'm uncomfortable and I'm in trouble with the authorities or whatever? He said, I keep after it. Why? Because I could save just one more. If I could have just saved one more, right? Oscar Schindler, Schindler's List. You know that reference? We save as many as we can. That's why we don't get worried about what color our hair is or which car we get to drive or have to drive or whatever your little civilian affairs are the small things that distract we keep after it we get in the game because there's something to win because it's worth it the game's worth playing the saying is trustworthy if we have died with him we will also live with him if we endure we will also reign with him if we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he, is, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Great little poem, great little quote Paul uses there to kind of say what? He says, you can be engaged. You can get in and be part of the process. You can put on the uniform, put on the cleats, and step on the field or the court. Pick your analogy. And you're going to mess some things up, right? Hey, I believe, but ma'am, my, my faith is lacking. Lord, help strengthen my faith. Even when I'm, I'm not sure how much I believe it, but I'm trying, as long as I'm still, what did you say? He's still faithful. And why that sentence at the end? For he cannot deny himself. Does God need to be reminded of that or we need to be reminded of that? Why would we need to be reminded of that? Who's winning the game? Who's going to win this game? Satan going to win the game? Government going to win the game? Humans going to win the game? No. None of that. It's a reminder to us, no matter what we think is important or what's getting our attention, in the game, God's going to win. Can't deny that. 
Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. That's called arguing. Paul says, stop it. Stop arguing over weird stuff, things you think are important. A great, great question to ask yourself when you think someone else or something is important. Does anyone else think it's important? I mean, you got a banner and you're marching around town and you're making noise because, hey, this thing's important. I'm calling my family. I'm posting this. I'm doing that. This is really important. Yeah, does anybody else think it's important? And if you get what you want, what will the result be? Pretty interesting. He says, let's not argue. See, it says, which does no good. It doesn't say, and usually doesn't do any good. Just sometimes it doesn't work out. It says, does no good. That's an absolute statement. You trying to cooperate with people? You trying to find common ground? Are you looking for the win-win? Or are you looking to compromise? Well, if I can give them to give up this, and I only have to give up that. You know, compromise is actually a loss for both people. Realize that? Compromise is a loss for both people. Oh, really? I, I thought that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to cooperate. You are supposed to cooperate. But how about you not compromise and you make sure that the other person need not compromise to where you both win? Ooh, now we're not arguing or quarreling. I know we, no one says quarreling anymore. Uh, now we're working together. Here's the thing. It might take a little more time and emotions might get high and you might get struggle and you might have to apologize and they might have doubts about you, whatever. Work through all that. Take the time. Put the effort in. So what Paul's saying is as Christians, we are not quitters. Why? Because God never quits and he never fails and he never loses. And Paul's kind of saying, act like it. Don't be a quitter. You have a bad relationship. You have a tough relationship. You have a questionable relationship. You have a mysterious relationship with somebody. Work at it. Be proactive. Initiate. Talk. Be gentle. I think Paul's talked about that twice now in two different books in the last three weeks. How do we be gentle with people? And then why? Why be gentle with people? Draw them back in? We're actually going to see that here in just a second. That it only ruins the hearers. That's what arguing does. Only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. That's what we're doing. Rightly handling the word of truth. How do we know what to do? We get it from Scripture. We get it from God himself. He says, these are the things that are important. Are you incorporating those things in your life? Do you have a memory verse? Any? Do you have more than four? 17? What truths from Scripture do you use as non-negotiables to drive your decision-making? That's how we make progress. Verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble. I'm going to try that one. I think I'm going to try it on my kids. Because right? you can try stuff on family. You can't try it on other people, right? What are you talking about? That's just irreverent babble. Is he saying try that on other people? I make the joke about trying it on my kids. Why? Because he's not talking about me trying it on other people. He's saying 
have this be a rule for yourself. Don't engage. He says avoid nonsense conversations, senseless arguments. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. It puts you on a path and takes you down a road that ends with destruction and hurt. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus, Philetus. They got their names in the Bible. What an honor. They got their names in the Bible for being jerks. Whoops. Not quite what you wanted. People that are causing trouble and being difficult, he names them. Well, that's not politically correct, is it? Calling people out? Paul says it's more important that we hit truth than offend somebody who's overly sensitive. That's kind of interesting. How do you do that balance of gentleness but still truth? Verse 18, these two who have swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection has already happened, that Jesus has already returned. They're spreading falsehood. They're upsetting the faith of some. They're leading people astray. They're creating controversy. They're dividing the church. They're being divisive. Paul says avoid them, stay away from them, don't engage with them. But God's firm foundation stands, verse 19. God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his. Believe that? You think that's true? Does God really know who are his? Why would we need to know that, right? I mean, that's about a basic theology statement as it gets. Of course God knows who are his, Scott. Why do you need to know that? He can't be denied. He can't be stopped. And he knows who are his. What's that mean? Is Paul saying that he's going to take care of his own? Absolutely. I want to be on that list. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Hey, he knows who are his, so stay away from the bad stuff. Watch what you do. Great little combination, Paul says. You know when you're stepping out of line. I've heard people say, you know, if I could just have the pastor just follow me around every day, like just alongside me everywhere I go, every conversation I'm in, then I'd be so helpful. No. We're not doing that. Because it's not needed. Because every environment you're in, you know. When something's going well and it's godly, you know, you can feel it. When something's wrong and it's shady and, and you feel a little bit, you know. You don't need a pastor. This is the glory of who God is and what he accomplished through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that we have with us. You have everything on your own that you need to do what God has called you to do where you are. Even down to your emotions, your thoughts, your observations. You know when they're good. And you know when they're off. Now in a great house... 
They're not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. Oh, a lot of dishes at the house. At least that's what I thought when I first heard this as a kid. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. This verse scared me. The first few times I read it, I was at you know, middle school, high school, college. Wait, there's, there's gold and silver kind of people, and then there's wood and clay kind of people? Wait, I don't want to be wood or clay. I want to be gold or silver, right? How do I do that? I, I missed the rest of the verse. First few times I read this, I just thought, well, you're stuck. God either made you for honorable stuff or he made you for dishonorable stuff. You have to have them all because a house has to have average stuff just like it needs nice stuff. I just remember bordering on, wow, am I, am I dishonorable? Am I average? I want to make sure you understand this is not Paul's point at all. What he says is you can set yourself apart for every good work. He said you can avoid iniquity, you can avoid the bad things, you can uh, avoid dishonor, and you can set yourself up to be part of the gold and silver of the house. How cool is that? See, before you had to be a soldier, an athlete, or a farmer. Now you get to be gold or silver. Getting better, I think. Verse 22, so flee youthful passions. Here's how to do it. Here's how you get in the game. Here's how you set yourself aside for honorable use. Be more effective. You avoid passions and pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue peace. Along with all those who call on the, on the Lord from a pure heart. He's saying, pursue these things. Righteousness, faith, love, peace, and other people that do. Pursue them too. Get around other people. Why? You need help. I need help. Can't do this on our own. Verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Ooh, that's a strong phrase. Is this a foolish, ignorant controversy? Should we be spending our time on this? You know that they breed quarrels. Don't be a quarrel breeder. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Kind to who? All people, everyone. Able to teach. Means you need to know some truth and be able to, to impart it to someone else. Patiently enduring evil. Does it say eliminating evil? I think one of the greatest things you can do to your own spiritual job description is recognize you, you are not in charge of eliminating evil. Not your job. You let God fight that battle. Your job is to endure through it. Be patient and just survive. Which implies you can be patient and you can survive, even in the presence of evil. Oh, darn, those were some of my best excuses for giving in when there was evil. 
I just couldn't handle it. Or that phrase, the devil made me do it. It's a truth from, it's a lie from the devil. <laughs> you can't be forced to do anything. Not even God forces you to do things. Uh, watch this. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. There's that word again. Are you going to have opponents? Yes. Can you correct them? Yes. Can you correct them to prove you're right? No. When you try to prove that you're right, you devalue the other person. You lose the relationship. In fact, I would make the argument that the person is more valuable than the truth that you argue. Your relationship with them is more important than whether they're right or getting it wrong. And one of the greatest things you can do is let someone else have their learning curve, but preserve your relationship with them and let that play out. How do you do that? It has to be with gentleness. Because any, any other way, they'll walk away if you're not gentle with them. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Look at that. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. What does he want? He wants them to have a shot. He also wants them to have a shot through you. If you can be gentle, they might change their mind about him. More importantly, they might change their mind about themselves and him. I mean, think about it. When you argue with people, you're trying to get them to change your mind, right? Try gentleness. They might change their mind and you'll your mind will be blown that it actually worked. He wants them to come to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to, to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. You see, we can make it through the devil. His snares can't hold us when we follow the Lord after being captured by him to do his will. You can have people that were captured by evil to pursue their own selfish stuff or, or evil's intent, and uh, God can take them and turn them. And he could use you to do it. That's being in his game. Well, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's look at a few things here, um, and we'll, we'll wrap up. And... But uh, getting in the game is is this idea that we're we're a we're a soldier, an athlete, we're a farmer, and, and how do we be effective in what God's trying to do? And and the first one is that we we recognize that entanglement upsets the faith of some. Entanglement upsets the faith of some. When when we get entangled, he says, no soldier gets entangled with civilian affairs. He says, don't do that. Why? Because you upset the faith of some. That's the phrase they used about the two people named in the Bible for being negative. Hymenaeus and Philetus. He says, they've upset the faith of some. You know, you, you can do that. You can become a hindrance to someone's faith by being difficult, by being quarrelsome, um, by having a resting face that is other than pleasant. by being combative, by sticking to your guns. Well, I just say it how it is. Well, really? 
Because did you do it with any gentleness? Just saying it how it is? Well, you got the truth right and you got all the relationships wrong. You get entangled on whether you're going to get your way or whether somebody who's done something wrong is going to get out, get off of it scot-free. And that's not fair. If you're stuck on fair, you are entangled in civilian affairs. And God's saying, watch out because uh, those entanglements, you worrying about all these little petty things, irreverent babble, it's going to mess with other people's faith. He says, don't do that. Who else will it be a problem for their faith when you get entangled in small things? Anybody? I think you know them. You see them every day in the mirror. It's going to mess with your faith more than anybody else's. They'll recover. They can do better. God may grant them repentance, right? But what condition will you be in when you get entangled? You are the only one, if maybe a little bit someone else, but pretty much you're the only one that you can influence. And you can do it 100% of the time. We have to be aware of when we're getting entangled. And instead, look at endurance, because endurance, number two, endurance pays off in crowns, crops, and for the sake of the elect. I just love that phrase. He says, why do I do the change? Why do I do the suffering? Why do I do all this? Why I've been in prison, the whole thing? Why? Because there's some people who God has elected to save that have yet to be saved. And God wants someone to engage with them, and I could be that person. That's what Paul says. That's the crowns. That's the crops. That's the winning of a battle. It's not that you become important, but that you get to help someone else. That you get to be part of something that God's doing. And that you do it even when it's difficult, painful, costly, frustrating. When you have to do it by yourself. That's called endurance. You keep going until the job gets done. And folks, those people are rare. They're almost impossible to find. We have tons of people that will make a list and accomplish a bunch of stuff. And then as soon as something doesn't go their way or they get, or their feelings get hurt, or, you know, they get sensitive or they get ignored or something, then it's like, that's it. I'm out. Forget it. I don't care. I'm not voting that way anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm whatever. They quit. They give up. That's not endurance. Endurance is when the going gets tough, the tough get going. We can do that for God. Because God did it for us. See, I love just the nuance of this, this idea of this chapter and you know, getting in the game. Did Jesus get in God's game? He absolutely did. Took the human form, came to this planet, tempted in every way, had to deal with humans, and yet without sin, went to the cross and endured. In fact, the phrase is in the passage. It says, enduring the cross. Same word. You know, one of the reasons he did that was set an example for us so that we can endure some of the little things, these light and momentary afflictions that get in our way that we get all upset about. Are you getting tired of people who overreact? 
then stop overreacting. I know that's true for me more than anybody I know. I got to watch how I overreact to certain things. Number three, your use as a vessel depends on your work in faith. Your use as a vessel depends on your work in faith. There's that whole section there where it talked about there's, there's honorable vessels, the gold and silver. There's dishonorable vessels, the wood and the clay. It says, you know, you actually have a choice in what you be. You have a choice in how effective you are, what you experience, how much you enjoy it. You get to make decisions about all of those things. What decision will you make? Was you, if you decide that it's not fair and someone cheated and, and it shouldn't be that way or, you, you know, my family should never have, my spouse, you know, if they just would have, if you spend your time woulda, coulda, shoulding, you're going to miss out and you're going to do average. Instead, you can ask the question, how much more could I do? What more could I do? Rather than what, what can I get more? What more could I do? A bunch of verse references for all of these. I trust you can go back and look at how they play together. But lastly, and this is, I love this. God's game is the only game in town. Paul makes it abundantly clear. He says it several different ways throughout the passage. And then after reading verses 13, 15, 19, 21, 25, then I want to go back and look at verse 7. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I love that. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. Why? It's his game. It's the only game in town. Right? Didn't it say he cannot deny himself? He can turn people from the devil. We think we got our own game going on. There are no other games. Just like Paul says in another book, there are no other gods. There's only one thing going on. Are you a part of it? Or are you a spectator? I hope that you're doing something where you actually are in the game. Spiritually and in human terms. Wherever you're working, wherever you're studying, whatever it is that you do, I hope you're engaging it 100%. There's nothing like watching the team play while you sit on the sidelines. While you sit on the bench and just watch other people play. I remember times in my sporting career where I, where I was sitting on the bench watching other people either by coach's decision or I was injured or I showed up late and so I didn't get to play, whatever it was, and it's the worst. Team wins and you did nothing. Your uniform's still clean. Why? Because you never got out on the field, you never sweat, you didn't fall down, you have no dirt on your uniform. In fact, great news, you don't have to wash it. It's totally ready for the next game that you can sit and watch again. Why? Because they won without you. I love what one of my young, day, younger day coaches told me. He lined up the team. He said, don't ever ask to come off the field. If you're out on the field and you're playing and you're doing, you're doing well or doing poorly or you're tired or whatever it is, doesn't matter. 
Don't ever ask to come off the field. Because if you ask to come off the field, I'll take you off the field, and you may never get back. Said the guy who took a day off, and Cal Ripken Jr. took his place. And now holds the record for consecutive starts in pro sports. That guy never got back on the field. We want to be part of the game. We need to really be careful when we ask God to take us off the field. There's been too much going on, God. I can't handle it. I'm hurt. I'm sad. How about instead of asking him to let you stop playing or stop trying, how about you ask him to help you? I want to stay in the game, but I need help. I want to stay in the game, but I'm hurting. I want to stay in the game, but I have doubts. See what happens then. See if he doesn't come alongside and say, I know you're hurting, but I know you can beat this guy. Get out of the game. Go score on him. Go do that. That's who our coach is. And that's what he wants for you, not from you. He doesn't need anything from you, but he does want you to have some experiences that you enjoy. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for the promises that you make to us. Thank you for the opportunities that you give us. Thank you that we can be part of what you're doing and your plans. Thanks for the example that you set in Jesus. Of him coming down and being a day-to-day part, rumming shoulder-to-shoulder with everyone. Even the people that culture thought he wasn't supposed to. He talked to him, he touched him, he healed him. Never gave up, endured all the way through the cross. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand that. And then show us ways that we can do that as well. We thank you for the offering we're about to receive, Lord, for those that give and those that can't. Trust, Lord, you will bless all and that you will bless the offering. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. We're just saying that He's all we need. I hope you have your uh, grape juice or whatever, your bread, your cracker. Once you get that out, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. He said, remember this. Often as you do it, remember. What do you need to remember today? you entangled? There's something you can endure? Are those are there those around you that you could do something for the sake of them because God has elected them? 
is his body broken for you on the cross. Let's partake together. And then he took the wine, said, this is my blood shed for you. Take it together. Father God, we thank you for your son, for the sacrifice, for the many accomplishments, the deep meaning, but the grace and freedom that comes from it. May you give us more reminders. Amen. And now I got one last announcement. Pretty fun. Got a little picture for you. The Berglund family had an announcement to give you. Friday night, our, uh, our middle son, Cyrus. Nate, you got a photo for me? Here it comes. Went out overlooking the ocean and said, will you? And she said, I do, I will. And so I guess we're doing a wedding. Hey, um, they have no answers to any questions right now, but ask them as many as you possibly can. All right, get that started, get that ball rolling. And we're so excited, uh, Grace Osi and her parents, uh, Scott and Amy, that we're just so excited for both of them, and this has kind of been a long time coming, so um, amen. And now, may you find ways and let him find ways for you to get in the game. Amen? Let's go with him. <laughs>